What you're listening to are musicians performing psychedelic music under the influence of a mind-altering chemical called LSD. you're hearing now is the hysterical laughter of a young man shaken by a wild hallucination midway through an LSD trip. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy right where I am right now. Right where I am, I'm so happy. Millions of Americans. Nation. I'm, uh, I'm your host, Jake Kettle. It is 1.55 here on the East Coast, and with me, as always, is founder of Dose Nation, author of Psychedelic Information Theory, Shamanism in the Age of Reason, and uh, co-host of the podcast, James Kent. James, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, we uh, don't have a guest this week, so uh, or for this show. So uh, I thought we'd take a chance to go over some of the viewer feedback or reader feedback or what is it called? I guess listener feedback now that we're doing a, a podcast. Yeah, listener feedback. Okay, so and, uh, of course there's two. We did two shows um, where it was just Jake and I talking with no guests. We did one on what was it, mysticism and consciousness, and another yeah. one on quantum physics. And even though those two things don't really have anything to do with each other, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> many people do like to combine them into one conversation. So I think we're going to go back and, and talk about some of those subjects today and, and do a little bit of, uh, read a little bit of your comments on the air, too. So Yeah, and we're going to uh, address and talk about some of the points that you guys brought up because, uh, you know, they're good points and we want to talk, want to talk about them, so. So, so, uh, first there was, uh, someone in the comment section who, uh, right. had, if you had know, a few you, questions. When you're listening to the podcast, you can go to dosenation.com, find the episode that you're listening to. Uh, they're numbered and they have a title. And then you can just leave a comment. You can, we, we, we take anonymous comments. We screen them first. So it may take a day or two for you to see your comment. But that's where you should go and post comments. Or you can post them on the Facebook page as well. Yes. But it, but it, but it will come up. So, uh, if you go and you read and you read along with us in the comment section, the first comment says, "When we talk about consciousness, there are two distinct dimensions to it that are completely different: the the objective material dimension studied by neuroscience, and the internal subjective dimension studied by inner studied by the inner science of mysticism." So, I want to let James first address the neuroscientific end of that because uh, that is not my specialty. <laughs> Well, okay, so I don't really like the whole objective-subjective split that people uh, d d like to jump on. Um, I think from a scientific standpoint, relativity basically blows away any kind of distinction between observer and subject because they are all connected by the speed of light, by light passing between two objects. So this subjective thing that people talk about to me is is reality that happens with a with a kind of delay because reality happens and we have a perception of reality 
But our internal perception of reality doesn't happen until a few milliseconds after reality itself actually happens. So our quote-unquote subjective reality is a delayed interpretation of reality from my standpoint. Um, other people may, other people, philosophers of consciousness may have a different opinion or definition of what subjective subjectivity or subjective consciousness is, is. but to me it is a delayed, low-resolution model of what just happened. Or, or what we would like to happen. Um, so our emotional response to reality is intertwined with reality. We are not so much a subject of reality as we are um, sort of at its whim. You know, we're sort of reacting to reality on a, on a second-by-second second basis. So when you study the objective neurons and stuff like that, that neuroscientists do, they are basically breaking apart subjective consciousness from a physical standpoint. The internal subjective dimension studied by the inner science of mysticism, that is really, to me, a form of exercise. It's like, um, it's like learning to play the piano. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a form of physical mastery that you have to practice every day, like meditation or breathing exercises or your mystic ritual, to build up these skills in your brain like a muscle that allow you to have control of your inner space. You know, that's to me what mysticism is, is it's like an internal exercise for controlling <clears throat> your subjective space. So both of those, I think, can be breaking down, broken down objectively, even though people will claim that there are parts of the mystical subjective space that are, that are too subjective to be explored by anything other than, say, mystical practice. I would, I think that they can both be, I think, I think there really is no distinction. Um, and the distinction we make is only to, I mean, I know it's, it's, it sounds petty, but I think that we like to put a big emphasis on the subjective experience because it makes us feel special. It makes us feel like our particular perspective of reality is unique and special in some way. And that's, that's precious to us. And we enjoy having that precious individuality, which is fine. But then when you go and say that, you know, it is so special that it is beyond the realm of studying by objective science. I have to go, well, you know, maybe it's not. Well, well, maybe it's just, maybe it's just breathing exercises and meditation. I mean, let, let me, is let, that, is that too hard to study? I don't know. Let me, let, let me interject quickly here. Yeah, right. go ahead. Now you had, you take your turn. Well, no, I, 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 I want to say, I, I, I think that there are parts of the human experience that can only be experienced if you, if, if, if I, if that makes any sense. Uh, oh yeah, you're talking to, about qualia, to, things that you cannot represent in right, some sort of things test. That, right, things that you cannot repeat in a test, things that you cannot uh, represent in a test, things that uh, cannot be demon uh, cannot be uh, demonstrated through the scientific method, and things like that. The other thing I I want to point out is that um, I don't know uh, you 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 mentioned control, and I think that that part of mysticism and mysticism is control. But the other part of you know con c controlling your own uh, wild emotions or the you know the flesh or whatever you want to call it, but the other part of it is also um, realizing that you have no control. Uh, <laughs> right. And well, that's, that that's you, letting the self be and, subsumed and by the, the, you know, and that the only thing the that circumstance you, we find ourselves in, and the only thing that you can change and the only thing that you can control is your is is that which is you know your own person. So. Really, it's, it's the concession that, okay, everything in, you know, in reality is really outside of my control, but 
uh, that doesn't mean that I can't change myself and make myself different and better. Right. So mysticism is basically learning how to control your behavior. Yes. And that includes your internal behavior, well, your thoughts and your feelings. Yeah, but I would, I would argue that, um, that, that, that though it, it, it does that, it, it does a little more. I, I, I think that once people begin to go down that path, they have, uh, certain types of experiences that well here's yeah here's know. the thing is that when you learn how to control your behavior you learn how to achieve this thing that mystics call stillness or inner stillness that allows you to basically cease the illusion that you know um you know this physical illusion that we have in this interaction with our how our behaviors and inner and reality have this have this feedback loop going when you reach that inner stillness you you detach from that connection with reality and you let that sort of spiritual inner space expand and become you know uh, this oneness where you and reality are no longer there's a there's no longer that 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 barrier there between you and reality you are reality well the other thing though is that in and, and and let me say this and western <clears throat> monastics take it even a step further they say well look we have the inner silence right we have the outer silence okay we've we've created our monasteries right we have our inner silence, we have our outer silence. Now, once you're able to get to the point of silence, right? Once you're able to get to that inner silence and once you're, a, and once you're able to get, you know, uh, to, to, to achieve that state, the question then becomes, well, what do you find in the silence? <laughs> and see, and that's, and you know, for, obviously this podcast is labeled explicit, so that's where the real mind fuck begins. Okay? <laughs> Is when, is when you say, well, wait a minute. Okay. So I've achieved this silence, right? And, and this is not something that I've done, but this is something I've read about. So you, you achieve the silence and then you say, well, well, wait a minute. That's not all there is. There's something in the silence and we can observe things because of this inner silence that we have that we couldn't before through human experience. So, right. and, and yeah. I, and I think that that's an important part of it that a lot of people miss is that, it's not just about the silence. It's, it's the silence. It's that within the silence, you gain something from it. Uh, something that, that can't be gained, in my opinion, through any other means. Uh, I mean, unless you want Well, wanna... right. This is where this concept of the ineffable comes from. Right, the, right, um, right. You know, um, within this, this, this gnosis, there's this, this, this ineffable thing that happens that's, you know, part vision, part reverie, part, um, catharsis part revelation where you just suddenly know something about the way things are that makes you feel bigger than yourself um you know and and what is happening in that state i think is really i mean you i think you're touching on something really important here this is where the big debate begins because everything up until that point is pretty objective but what people take out of that experience is is you know it's, it's it's almost the stuff that people go to war over, you know whose 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 interpretation of this mystical experience is more correct than the other person's. Well, and again, and I would say that that that's why, you know, and 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 this is why the at least in the West, Western monasticism was set up uh, in a way where you know people are under the care of you know monks are under the care of an abbot, novices are under the care of a novice master, so that people don't uh, you know go crazy and you know, kind of say whatever they want to say so that they stay, you know. <laughs> Do you want to read Eugene's next point here? Yeah, I will, but, you know. <clears throat> so the inner subjective dimension is completely non-local in the sense that you cannot find it in a space-time location. 
You can slice up the brain in every neuron in it, but you will never find the inner sentient or the inner sentient. Sorry, sentient. yeah, no, I'm my my eyes are bad, James. Please, <laughs> I, I I didn't want to have to oust myself <laughs> that I wore glasses. No, uh, the inner sentient uh, sentient subjective experience of a rose in illumination, a vision, or the inner meaning of a thought. Okay, so I want to take issue with this one here because this is a, a an argument that I hear over and over again. Now, you said earlier that that within the realm of human experience, there are some things in reality that can't be objectively described. You just have to experience, or you just have to see them in action or feel them in action to know what they are. Yes. And we that's there's we, in philosophy they call the, that qualia, like the smell of a rose. You can't you can't hold the smell of a rose in your hand. It's something that you have to be a living human being sniffing a molecule into your nose to know what it feels like. Now, I I like to use the the metaphor of a screensaver in a computer that spits out some sort of algorithm. Um, When you look at a screensaver spitting out geometric patterns on a screen, that pattern can only exist if there is, one, a computer with a screen, and two, a piece of software running something. Now, if you slice up that computer, every circuit and every chip in that computer, you will not find the pattern generated by that algorithm. Now, this guy is making the same case that because we can't cut up the brain and find the smell of a rose, or uh, what was the other thing he said? Um, um, yeah, okay, so an illumination or a vision, just because you can't find it in the brain doesn't mean it's not there and it's not physical. It means it's encoded. It means it's encoded in a way that we don't recognize as the smell of a rose, just like the way that the screensaver is encoded in, in switches, bits, zeros and ones that run through a memory chip that doesn't look like the pattern that we see on the screen. It only looks like the pattern on the screen. And when we cut up the thing that the screen is made of, we don't see that pattern in there because it is encoded. Now, this, 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 this issue of encoding is exactly the same with the brain. All of the things that we sense and feel, they are physical and they are in the brain, but they don't look like the things that we're sensing and feeling. They are encoded into neural switches, neural, neural connections, synapses. And we can prove that by doing MRI scans of the brain, looking at something like a vase or a candle and taking a picture of that and then having a person imagine either a vase or a candle and being able to, by extrapolating what their visual cortex is doing, reverse engineer it and say, oh, yes, they are thinking of a a picture of a vase or they are looking at a picture of a vase. So just because the the information is encoded in a way that we don't recognize doesn't mean that it's not physical and it's not local and it's not in there. It is local and it is in there. And you can't make the case that it is non-local because that's, to me, it's just silly. It's like saying the images in my brain exist somewhere else in some other dimension far away from me. Um, no, I, I, pr- I think they're pretty much in my head, even though we can't slice them open and see them. I have, my, my head has to be up and running for those images to exist in my head. Not sliced open. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You have to, I mean, you know, because if you're sliced open on a table, you're not going to see those images because you're probably going to be dead. <laughs> right, so the existence of the image in my brain is real, even though it's encoded in this sort of synaptic uh, wash of electricity. Um, just like the screensaver is real and physical, even though it's encoded in a, in a, in a wash of electrons moving through circuits. Um, 
just because we can't cut something open and look at it doesn't mean it's non-local. That's it's it's a it's a bad argument. But um, I agree that that is a very common argument in philosophy that people use to say to to point to the fact that, that I mean I think he's saying consciousness is non-physical maybe, but even that argument doesn't hold water because you know electricity moving through synaptic circuits is physical. You know, even though you can't cut it open with a knife, that's the wrong way to go looking for it. Well, I mean, wind is physical. The force of wind is physical. I can't well, yeah, see you know, the wind. People come to me all the time saying that they are, you know, that there's also these, you know, invisible fields holding us together. And I'm like, yes, they're called gravity. They're called electromagnetism. They're called the strong nuclear force. These, these <laughs> invisible fields are all around us. And we know about them because we can measure well, them. Well, I mean, look, we I mean, the names. But if you, if you're talking about an invisible non-local field that you can't measure, that's something that you made up that doesn't exist. Right. Well, I mean, look, I mean, the uh the wind is the the wind is an invisible force right i mean i can't i can't see the wind the wind is there right i mean we can measure it but we can measure the wind we can feel the wind we can we can uh we can experience the wind yeah (laughs) but we can't we can't quantify the wind in 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 the sense of you know physically touching it yeah i mean it's it's right the wind is just a vacuum of of air moving from one space to another and you can you can make a mathematical model of it but that doesn't mean that you can you know predict it or have control over it right it's but yeah it's you know and people like to invoke invisible forces or invisible fields and i and i say no if it was an invisible field we would be able to measure it you're talking about invisible field we can't measure like you know the morphogenetic field or something like that which means you're talking about something that doesn't really exist. So um, by implying that thought is non-local or that the scent of a rose is non-local because we can't cut it up is implying that there is some sort of invisible non-local field that we that we tap into. And, and I just I have to reject that out of hand. And let me let, let me let me let me uh, let me say this is just for oh my, in my personal opinion. Um, I don't I I. I, I agree with Jay, I agree with you to an extent, but I think mm-hmm. that, that also to, 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 to another degree, I, I, I hold some reservations because there is some phenomena, and, and, and I don't, and I don't make too many conclusions about them, but there are some of them that I have personal opinions about that I say, well, maybe there could be, a, you know, some kind of, uh, but again, you know, right. the, the case has to come before the theory. You can't say, well, there's this thing that's going on around us that's non-local. It's like, well, wait a minute. I, I see this. I see this. I see, I see this. Maybe this is going on. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm never, I never want to say absolutely that something cannot be or something is not. I, I just, you know, I, I take a look at all the evidence and say, you know, the case is that it does not exist. Now, there, science doesn't know everything and science, the, the models that science produces aren't 100% accurate. They're just very close approximations. And our approximations get better, the better our science gets, the better our measuring gets. So, you know, we have a standard model and we have a size of the universe and we have a, a, a physics that we follow like a religion. And every once in a while, it turns out our physics is wrong. We do something like we say, oops, we misjudged the age of the universe or oops, we misjudged the speed that the universe is expanding or oops, we misjudged the mass of the universe. And that's because our measurements keep getting better and better and better, and we can keep kind of messing with the data we have to reverse engineer what's going on. Now, this thing about the mass of the universe not being right is is one of the biggest mysteries in physics, and it's where dark matter comes from. And dark matter is, um, you know, really one of these these things in science that I, you know, you talk to scientists and you say, "What is dark matter?" And they say, "Well, we can't, we don't know because we can't see it. It's dark." 
now a lot of people will in the in the in the new age or or you know spiritual community will point to dark matter as evidence that things exist outside the kin of science that we may never know about and i'm willing to live with that you know i'm willing to say yeah you're right but if if that means things exist outside of our ability to know them you can't claim to know what they are either you know, you can't claim to know that the spirits are ghost dimension or, or whatever. Then that dark matter fills that function for you. You need to make a, a provable case that that's what dark matter is. You can't just say, well, if we don't know what it is, it must be ghosts. You know, it's just science doesn't work that way. We have to come up with some kind of <clears throat> model that you can, you know. Test. T- right, exactly. Yeah, and if you can't test dark matter because you can't see it or measure it, then it becomes something of a of a double mystery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the, what kind of the way I feel about this, like the space that you go to after you reach the silence and mysticism or, you know, what enlightenment is well, or, or what dreams are. It's uh, almost like, and, and, you know, it's and this is why being able to measure. And this so is why I'm on this weird, you know, quest where I, where I go to these places and I talk to people and I, and I, tr- and I even try to get into it and, and, and observe it myself. But I mean, th- this is one thing that I, that, that, that I'll say. I, I've, in the very, very limited amount of, 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 personal real world experience that i've had with with mysticism uh, and it's it's been predominantly by and large western um monasticism is that this is not something that you gain in a day this is not something that you gain in a year this is not something that you gain in 20 years this is something you gain through a lifetime through a lifetime of work and through a lifetime of 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 dedication to the mystic art so to speak or the mystic tradition um and but those who are who are able to reach that state are uh you know and you know some of which you know and, and and you speak to these people some of the information that they're you know that they talk about and some of the knowledge that they have is is um at least about the human experience and about human um emotion and human um well really the human experience as i said is 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 unparalleled in my opinion um because they Well yeah, we have a very, like I said, we have a we have an innate preciousness for our own experience and I don't really there is no need for that in an organism as far as I can tell. It's it's something that's What I'm saying that, is and it may be something that's unique to humans. I don't know if if lower animals have a preciousness in their memories no, 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 other no, no, than no. using <clears throat> it to like find their way around. When I say we hu- have a preciousness in our memories. When I experience. say human experience, I don't mean human experience in the sense of their personal experience, but they understand the human suffering, they understand the oh, human mm-hmm. joy, they understand the human and they understand it on a deeper level than most people understand it. I would say but then 99% of the population understand it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. on a much, much more... Uh, yeah, because they get to stand outside of the system and, and sort of watch things happen and observe and, with a and, little and, more detachment. <clears throat> well, and also when, 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 when they go and they, and they enter the monasteries, they have to fight their own inner battles, which um, reflect to a, to, a, to a certain degree the outward battles of humanity. Uh, in a certain way, you know, right. what are we fighting wars I over? Think an Greed. Point. I think if more people spent time, um, you know, a couple weeks a year, or maybe even a few days a month, in isolation, fighting their internal battles, they would feel less of a need to act out and fight other people. Yeah, because I mean, really, <clears throat> really, I think a lot of times when when people want to do battle with other people, they don't want to do battle with other people because you know they really want to hurt somebody. 
they want to do battle with themselves on a they're on, unsatisfied on a deep, with themselves. Right. Yeah. So so and they and they're unwilling to face it. So it gets taken out in a different form. But right, and that's what I see as the value of mysticism is being able to put your own shit in check. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> so know, for, for lack of a better word, yeah. pointing the finger at somebody else and calling other people an asshole when you may be, you know, the pot calling, calling the kettle black, no exactly. pun intended. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> no, and I, and, I, and, I, and I agree with you. Um, but it, it's, a, it's an incredibly important subject, and I, and I think that if, the, and, I, and again, I'll, I've said it on the air many, many times, but I want to say it again. If you want to really get a good look at Western monasticism and you want to get a really good introduction to it, uh, you know, from someone who knows what they're talking about, read Tantalus and the Pelican, Exploring Monastic Spirituality Today by the Reverend Dr. Uh, Nicholas Buxton. It's a great book. You can find it on oh, yeah, Amazon. You can listen to the interview that we yeah, did with him. Yeah, and we did an interview with him. I think it was episode 15 or 14, and you can go back in our archive and you can listen to the interview after you've read the book and... uh you know, if you really want to learn, uh, if you want a good place to start and to really learn about this stuff, I would go rec- go out go out and recommend getting that book because it's a uh, it's a fascinating book. So okay, I want to do a couple more points that Eugene made here. Oh okay. After, after, no, number four. After thousands yeah. of years of inner exploration, all mystics have concluded that the depth of the conscious experience. In the depths of the conscious experience, there is a sense of oneness, not just as human experience, but as a universal truth. I'll concede that, sure. I'm not sure all mystics have concluded that, but it's 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 a very common theme of, of oneness and unity. I would say that U.G. Krishnamurti did not did not find that. Oh, <laughs> well, that's what I say. Every there's rogue philosophers out there and mystics that would would say that we're just garbage floating around in in dusty wastelands, but uh. But oneness is, is, you know, it's, it's a common theme out there. No, it is, yeah. Well, well. Okay, so wait, let's, I'm gonna, okay, we don't need right. to belabor that one. So he says, the new physics seems to be pointing toward a similar conclusion. All matter and the forces that govern their relations spring forth from a unified field or some substrate, from one to the many. Now, this concept of a unified field, he, he put in uppercase. Now, of course, the universe is held together by a unified field. And, you know, mostly that's gravity. That's the, I mean, like I said, there are invisible four fields holding the universe together. But science ex- has explained most of those invisible fields, except for dark energy, you know, which is, which is kind of a kludge we can talk about later. But when you talk about the unified field, that doesn't mean like one single field that science has missed for lack of a better word. The unified field is a term that science uses to unify the different models of of force that we have, the strong force, the weak force, which is electromagnetism, and and gravity. And, you know, we have mathematical models for each of these types of forces, but no one mathematical model that unifies them all, even though we know that they are all basically um, different versions of the same underlying force in the same underlying field. Um, science can't explain mathematically how the strong force and electromagnetic magnetism and gravity are unified from a mathematical model, but there's not really a whole lot of debate that that you know forces aren't unified. Forces definitely are unified. 
they just don't have we don't really have good math for demonstrating that they are unified because the math becomes very complex it's at very small levels which is why we have quantum physics and why we have electromagnetism and why we have gravity these forces work differently at different at different um scales and distances so um i because just because we don't have one quote unquote unified field theory that models all of these forces as one singular force doesn't mean that the unified field is some hidden mysterious thing it just means that we haven't modeled it as nicely as we want to um and uh, again this is one of these one of these things people take science words that scientists come up with to explain one thing unified field theory is just a better general form of math for explaining forces mystics and new age people use unified field to mean some invisible force that science doesn't understand like god or okay, okay. Not local consciousness or something like that and that's just not what it is can, that's it's it's just a misunderstanding of the term can I, can i can i can i interject here quickly yeah go ahead uh, because you brought up new age and mystics and i need to hammer this point in really <laughs> really 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 hard okay uh, and I, and i'm sorry for any of you, I, I love all of our yeah, viewers. And I don't want to arbitrarily and, lock people together, yeah, but New but Age people usually let, adopt some sort of yeah. some sort of hodgepodge mysticism. So I got to be honest with don't necessarily do the same. No, I got to be honest with you guys. I, I I've I've I, I I've done reading into the New Age community, and I've done reading into the ancient mystic traditions, and I got to tell you, there's no comparison. I mean, it's like comparing apples to oranges. It's like comparing child's play to, uh, you know, uh, an adult at a shooting range with a gun. I mean, it's two totally different things. It's night and day. You sitting in your backyard, you know, uh, pray, you know, trying to absorb the Gaia energy and all this other kind of stuff, it's, 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 uh, it's just not happening. But, <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry, it's not. But when you, but, you know, and oh, and the light and the love, and there's, you know, no suffering anywhere, and we just gotta be happy all the time, and, you know, dance around, and all this, no, 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 no. Um, it's, you don't what? You're, okay, this is your Catholicism coming no, out. No, no, this you, is the, this you're, is you're, you're this like is, you're belittling pagans. Now. No, 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 no. I'm not belittling pagans. I am belittling. <laughs> I, I, I am, I am, I am belittling the lack of actual mysticism in modern mysticism. Well, there's a sense of discipline that goes along with mysticism that I think may be lacking in a lot of the new age. It is because because, because there is no like discipline. There is well, no. Well, I wouldn't say there is no. There is very little it's discipline. Just not institutionalized. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, but I mean, even, I mean, okay, take, 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 take the West completely out of it. Take the West totally out of it, right? So let's, it's, it's just, just, just so we can pretend like, you know, the bias isn't there. Take the West totally out of it. Let's go to the East. Even, even Eastern monasteries, okay? Buddhist monasteries, the Tibetan monasteries, they are all communities. They are, they, they have common rules they follow. They have a common, um, you know, they, they, they do things in, in community and in common. They seek things in common. Um, you know, and, you know, in, in these traditions, when people are ready, they go out on their own and become an anchorite and they go out and they seek that silence or that. Okay. Well, to be fair, I have been in quote unquote, what I would call new age communes that were run by neo hippies or raw foodists or, you know, free love acolytes. And they were fairly disciplined about the way that they ran their community, but they were still sort of. What I would call um, picking and choosing about what sort of spiritual paths they would they would follow, and that's uh, the they thing. D- they didn't have one 
you know, they rejected most of these places reject hierarchy in the form of a communal model, which I think tends to break down discipline and mystical structures. But, um, you know, definitely in the West and East, the mystic traditions, they have a hierarchy. There is a general who is leading the masses in the daily prayer and kicking people's butts when they're not in line. And, um, you know, that kind of mystic discipline, I think, is it's, it's easier to have respect for those kind of mystics than it is for the kind of touchy-feely or um, new age, make it up as we go along mystics. Well, because, the other thing is... Because of that sense of discipline. Well, I mean, and, and the other thing is that, I mean, you know, you're you're making it up as you go along when you have an entire body 2,000 years behind you of people who already know, who, 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 who have already done what you're trying to do. So yeah, why? But that, that, the corpus of the, the Western mysticism has been corrupted. Well, and, well I mean, all you got to do is go back and, and, and read the books. I mean, well, it's yeah, not, I know. I'm just saying it's why not people difficult. Became, have become disenchanted with it. It's, it's pretty obvious. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. And I, and, and I agree. It's obvious why people have, have become disenchanted with Western mysticism. And I'm not defending... I'm not, I'm not, and by no means I, right, I, and that's why I'm saying I, I don't want to defending... indict people who, who, who have a make up your own too no, much no, 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 because no. of that, the bad taste in, in the mouth that, 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 that corruption has, has led to. Right, and I, and, and I can understand the feeling, but I, I, I just think that there is a, not that there's one way, but that there is a, you know, that there needs to be a a set discipline that you can choose and practice in order to uh, to achieve that state. Because if you're just going to pick things up as you go along, and this is one of the things that that Saint Benedict talks about at the very first chapter of his rule, is that you know the you know you can't have people going from place to place doing whatever they want without anybody you know saying anything to them because you know uh, back in Benedict's time there were many monks who would go walk around and you know had no abbot had no community. They said they were monks, but they were, you know, they would go to the brothel every night and they would drink and they would, you know, uh, they there would. There was no oversight. Right. And they would hurt people and they would do bad things. There was things no more and, morality. There was right, no oversight right. for their internal morality. And they, so. and they were men in robes who would call themselves monks who, who would, who, who would participate in the that debauchery. That sounds so filthy. Right. No, no, but, 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 <laughs> but who participate in the debauchery of every other Roman citizen. So, so that's why I make the argument that, well, you know, maybe there does, and, and, and actually this is something that I had, uh, argued and and struggled and, and and had disagreed with for the longest time but the more and more i look into it when you look at the serious mystics um you know they even they say look there needs to be a discipline there needs to be a little bit of oversight there needs to be um some some tradition or some some form in which we're going to achieve, to achieve our goal here in which we're going to attempt to seek this uh, you know what what is the conduit in which we're going to to attempt to seek this uh, enlightenment or this this uh, spiritual path, whatever you want to call it? Right, and I think it's you know people when they're on that path, they have a tendency to you know become over free. Like I'm free of all earthly bounds, therefore I can you know uh, have sex with whoever I want and be as free as I want, and no one's going to tell me what to do because I'm just living. In the moment, and, right? And, and you know, you may need, you may actually need an abbot there saying, "No, you're living too much in the moment. Check yourself here." <laughs> well, you know, and the other thing, and look, I mean, I mean, nobody is perfectly humble all the time. One hundred, sure, absolutely. Know, no, you know, there, 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 there's nobody on earth who is like we're that. We're driven I mean, by you know, craving, right? We're driven by our by our ego, but you know, I think that part of that is is that people don't want to say, "Well, 
I don't have all of the answers. I'm going to go look to this individual and say, well, can you help me? And can you lead me? And can you guide me through this, through this process? And it might be arduous and I might not agree with everything that you say, but in the end, this, you know, there's going to be some kind of beneficial aspect. People are unwilling to do that. They say, well, no, I, I have my own way. It's the best way. And that's it. And I don't care what, it, you know, what, what anybody else has to say. And that's it. You know, I'm just going to go follow that. Right. And it's another, yeah, the, the other way I like to say it is people who, you know, get involved in, in mysticism and, you know, especially through psychedelics. I say, you know, nobody ever says, here's a Formula One race car that, you know, has a top speed of, you know, 250 miles an hour. Go ahead, jump in it, take a few laps around the track, and then we're going to put you in the Indy 500. No, that's not no, how it works. No, no, no. You have to train, you have to train, you have to train, you have to have discipline. Before you, you know, jam your foot down on that pedal, you need to know how that car operates and moves. And you need to, you know, make sure you're not going to blow yourself through the, the back wall of the racetrack because you're not cornering tight enough. And, you know, that's kind of the way I feel about mysticism, too. You can go, you can spiral off the deep end if you if you don't have somebody there kind of keeping you in check and you could do it very quickly too oh yeah yes yeah i mean it can and it's and and you know ritual is a very powerful thing once you start doing the ritual on a regular basis so you know any ritual is, can lead to something that you're you're not expecting so and, be, you know, having somebody there to, to 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 um learn from who's who's been through the process before is always helpful yeah and that's what i'm saying i mean there 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 aren't that you know I I feel as if that is lacking in many of the new age schools, so to speak. Uh, you know. So let's. I'm going to jump ahead to some um, some more comments here. Yeah. So this comes back to the quantum thing, and this is one thing that I wanted to get back to. Eugene says the quantum realm is not out there somewhere. In quotes, we are the quantum realm at the base of our existence, and we know that what we call matter is only a frequency surrounded by 99.99 percent empty space. Why couldn't consciousness tap into this vastness in a very sensitized state or very sensitized states? Now, this question also came up on our Facebook page. I think Daniel Waterman asked this question. And he says, the, the discussion is not about whether or not quantum mechanics plays a role in consciousness, because, of course, it does. You know, quantum mechanics is the, one of the fundamental forces of the way that photons and electrons interact. And those interactions happen in the brain, and they happen in all matter. So, of course, the brain functions using quantum mechanical systems. Um, that doesn't mean that consciousness itself relies on quantum mechanical systems, because you can say, well, consciousness, you know, electromagnetism is a fundamental part of consciousness. Yes, electromagnetism is a fundamental part of consciousness, uh, drugs wouldn't stick to receptors without electromagnetism, but does consciousness feel every spike of electromagnetism of every drug attaching to every receptor? No, that's be that's below the level of perception. Now, if we don't feel the electromagnetic tug of receptors and molecules touching each other, the quantum mechanical aspect of that interaction is even a layer smaller. So we're definitely not going to feel those tiny little fluctuations, those quantum fluctuations at the quantum level. All neural firing in the brain is subconscious. We don't, it doesn't actually enter perception. We don't feel individual neural neurons spiking. Now, if we don't feel an individual neuron spiking, all we feel is a, is a large group of neurons spiking in a rhythm all at once, and that it translates as a feeling or a color, color or a sound. 
we don't feel a single neuron spiking. So if we don't feel a single neuron spiking, we certainly are not going to feel a single electron in a single atom in that neuron jittering slightly when it has a little electromagnetic interference with a molecule next to it. It's just so below the level of our perception. It's not even, it's not even part of what our brain even looks for as, as signal. So I, I don't really know. I mean, yes, the brain would probably fall apart and not work if the quantum mechanical nature of it was disrupted, but do we actually sense the quantum mechanical stuff going on? I, I seriously doubt it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sense, yeah, I don't sense any, any, uh, yeah, any electron wavering in my brain. I don't feel any quantum fluctuations in my brain. I feel neural fluctuations, but those are very high level physical things. I mean, those are gross actions, things, you know, low frequency vibrations in the brain that you can measure with an EEG. You know, and I can feel when my brain is still and I can feel when it's active, but I can't feel, you know, a single, a single receptor or a single electron. It's no, just, but, but you know what? Let, let me, uh, let me actually make this, uh, not an argument, but let me make this, 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 this case point, this case. And this was very, very, very strange to me. When I, when I, when I was, um, when I went up to the Abbey for the first time, uh, it was very late in, it was very late in the evening, uh, and I was, you know, sitting, sitting in one of the monastic prayer stalls, and I was, you know, uh, saying, saying a Compline, which is the last monastic office of the night, and, um, it was strange, and you're talking about this neural firing, right, James? Mm-hmm. It was strange. I had, uh, as I was saying this, I got very into what I was doing, and, uh, I, you know, I got into the practice, and... I was undistracted, surprisingly, which is hard for me. If it, for those of you who know me, <laughs> it's hard for me not 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 to be in a thousand places at once sometimes. But um, what I found was is that I was completely in that space, and within that space, my be my my body began to light up like a Christmas tree. Um, first, it started to start in my head, you know, and I felt this kind of cold, tingling feeling. Starts, oh right, I remember you telling uh, me. Yeah, that. and and I and I and I remember that you and I had had this conversation and and what was interesting is that, you know, you you know, I mean, you know, usually if uh you know, you get happy or something, you might get that tingling feeling in your head, right? But it's localized to the head. It really won't go into other parts of your body. What was strange is that this 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 particular sensation went from the top of my head into my shoulders, in my arms. I mean, I could feel it as palpably as I can touch my my table or my microphone. Uh, you know, went all the way down, and you know, into my torso, into the trunk of my body, into my legs, and out of my feet. And it, you know, and it took a good 30 seconds to travel, you know, a good 20, 30 seconds to travel up, up and down. Uh, and it was really a strange experience. And that's why I say that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. And that's why I take less hardline positions when it, when it comes to, you know, non-locality um in that sense because i don't you know wh where does that come from what why well, this is this is this is one of my biggest problems with with spirituality in general yeah is it will point to hey there's this thing that happened that's mysterious and unexplained therefore it's god <laughs> or therefore it's ghosts or therefore it's non-local consciousness and they, and there's this there's this leap or assumption that's made 
that just because it's weird and just because we don't have an immediate explanation for what happened, it must be something beyond explaining. And, you know, this is, you know, when you experiment with, with drugs, especially psychedelics and hallucinatory drugs, you do have sensations like things washing over your body or things moving in and out of your body or your body completely disappears. And you don't really have, we don't really have a lexicon for talking about perceptual shifts. I mean, I wasn't on drugs, though. What's, what's that? I wasn't on any drugs. I mean, no, you know, I know you weren't. I'm talking about this. Is the thing that mysticism. This is why mysticism trump, trumps drugs. Is because when you when you become a mystic, you don't need drugs anymore. You can make your body do these things when you need it to, um, and and you realize that drugs are just sort of making your body do things as an involuntary response, as opposed to I am going to voluntarily do my ritual exercise and have a vision as opposed to take a drug and have my body involuntarily react into a spasm of visions um, that I can't control. See, that's the difference between psychedelics and mysticism. One is voluntary control and insight. The other one is sort of, I'm going to measure a dose and then make my body have an involuntary reaction to that dose and, and see if I can control it as it happens. And mysticism in conjunction with psychedelics allows, you know, far more control than just, you know, taking psychedelics by their own and seeing what happens. And this is, you know, I think most people who study, you know, ritual, meditation, uh, breathing exercises, any kind of um, stillness meditation or yoga, bodily control, will tell you that those kind of things come into play when they take psychedelics for the first time. They realize, oh, you know, there is a, there is a level of, you know, being in the body and being in control and being able to channel these energies in different ways through my, my mind and body that allow me to feel what I'm feeling. Um, so yeah, mysticism, when you're, when you're in that silent space, your, your brain can do all sorts of things to you. Um, and and you you know when you described it to me it sounded like you were having a wash of adrenaline or something going going yeah, through see, your body I, but, but it, it usually does not happen no, no, that but, slow but, it's a very slow understand. process I'm like not supposed thing. to have washes of adrenaline because uh, you know and I'll say this openly on the air I'm on medication that specifically stops adrenaline from right, dumping into my body so so you see this is why <laughs> this is why it's so strange to me it's like so. I'm on stuff that, 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 because, I mean, I don't get adrenaline rushes at all. I had somebody punch me in the face and I didn't get an adrenaline rush. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean. That's because you're James Dean cool, bro. <laughs> no, no, it's not that I'm, no, no, it's not that I'm James, James Dean cool. It's that I'm like, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, about ready to. I know, I realize this, and this is the thing. I mean, people have, I mean, I, I people come up to me with weird things that happen to I'm them. I'm about ready to pass I out at any moment, them, you know. But I, I really, <laughs> caution people to don't jump to conclusions about what happening yes you're in a monastery and yes you're praying and yes something weird happens but you know, you know I, but you know judge judge the experience for what it is not you want not for what you no, want no no it no, no. and 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 again and that's and and that's and, and that and that was a point that I was going to bring up later is that if anybody you know when you do have these experiences when you do go to these places and if you do and you have these experiences Always, always, always keep a, keep a certain, you know, reservation about them and look at them, you know, objectively and say, well, what was that? Because you know what? It's now, uh, let's see, March, April, May, June, July. It's now what? Four or five months later and I'm still considering the experience and I've made no conclusions about it, you know? Right. And that's the way it's probably um, going to be 
I may have made I, those kind of things. I may have made some assumptions. I may have made uh, you know, I may say, well, I may believe certain things now because of certain experiences. But really, well, I can say the that thing. I, if you practice mysticism for for years, twenty years from now, you may be able to reproduce that feeling you had at will. Just as just like you're able to like pop your ears when you're on an airplane or something. Well, yeah, I've never um, been on an airplane, so I don't know. Uh, so, you know, just like you're able to crack your knuckles or whatever, you know, some sort of weird physical thing that you learned how to do. Um, it may be something that your body can do when it's in the proper, you know, setting and place and frame of mind that you're just unfamiliar with right now. But the more you learn to do it, the more you realize, oh yes, this is this thing. But right now, it seems very mysterious to you. Whereas I'm sure that if you went and talked to some Tibetan monk who had been doing it for 40 years, they would say, oh, yes, that is the parting of the folds or something like that. And, and they'll give you some really long explanation about what happened to you. Um, and that's just the way mystics are. When I, and, you know, I talked to my friend who's a Tibetan Buddhist about different things that happened to me on, on different psychedelic drugs. And he would say, Oh yeah, that's this bardo. Oh yeah, that sounds like this bardo. Oh, that sounds like you were, you were stuck in the realm of personal amusement. So I, need I was to... like, what? There's a realm of personal amusements? And he says, Oh yeah, yeah. It's a bardo that people get stuck in there where all of the, the, um, you know, their, their secret wants and desires, their most childish secret wants and desires come, come to life before their eyes. And it's, it's like a distraction. It's like a little puddle that you get stuck into. But I gotta tell you, um. <laughs> you know, one, one, one thing that, that I, and, and, and this is, this is what I thought was really interesting is that when I, when I asked some of the Christian monks about this, they would give me suggestions, but they wouldn't give me answers. Uh, you know, and that's, and that's when I really started to appreciate it is because I said, well, wait a minute. These people hold very strong beliefs about certain things, you know, about God, about, you know, the prophet of God and that kind of thing. Yet, when it comes to another person who is not so fully integrated into that system, who has, who doesn't have the experiences that they've had, they're just willing to make suggestions and to leave it at that and to help guide you. You know, which, which I, which I think is so interesting. You know, I, I've, you know, I, I, when I've asked certain monks about these experiences, well, they said, well, maybe, well, maybe you're experiencing this or maybe you're experiencing that or, you know, what do you think it is as opposed to, oh, no, I know what this is. Wait a minute. You're experiencing this serpent in this part of your body that's flowing through your head and, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. in this realm and that realm, you know, there's really not, not as much of that, uh, as there is, well, how do you interpret the experience? You know, what are your, you know, what are your thoughts right. on it? And they can. It sounds to me like a full scale neural remodulation of your entire neocortex that happened over the period of 30 seconds. I don't know why it happened, but, you know, something very peculiar happened when your brain went through this little change. Big change. Yeah, and I mean, and I, and I'm, uh, and I wanted to bring this up on the air because if, if, if other viewers have had experiences like this, I would be interested in hearing about them. Um, you know, and interested in, 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 in what your opinions are. Uh, so, you know. All right, so here, this will lead into number seven here. Jake mentioned the monastic mystics. In my mind, they are true scientists of consciousness, eliminating sensory signals through isolation and decreasing mental noise to hear deeper frequencies of nature. Now, that's what we were talking about earlier when mysticism is about this, you know, finding these silent places where, you know, the self can expand into a, 
into something larger. And then they say uh, they unanimously claim the inherent unity behind all creation. Again, similar to the notion in physics that all creation springs forth from a unified singularity. Now, the beginning part of that statement, I agree with more or less you know uh, the deeper frequencies of nature is a sort of poetic way of of saying it but sure um i'm not i'm not sure any frequency is is any deeper than any other frequency but let's just call it the frequencies of nature uh um so but then he jumps forth to this notion in physics that all creation springs forth from a unified singularity yes there is a single root cause. I mean, this is getting back into the, you know, platonic philosophy of root causes and end causes and, and, um, teleological arguments about which comes first, the, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, he's, uh, he's, I think, jumping a little bit between mysticism and physics here, uh, trying to say that, because we can silence our own thoughts to hear the frequency of nature, we see the unity behind all creation. Yes, but then p- people always want to take it one step further to go, you know, there is a force behind that unity that is something more than just, you know, gravity or physical forces. Um, I don't know. You when we when we read this earlier, you had some things to say about that. What, what do you think about this? The true scientists of consciousness. Uh, you mean as, as, as far as the Western monastics being, being yeah, the true? Yeah, it says the monastic mystics. In my mind, they are the true scientists of consciousness. They unanimously claim the inherent unity behind all creation, similar to the notion in physics of a unified singularity. Okay, so I want to cast off the, uh, the, the physics question. I can't address that. I don't have enough knowledge. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I'm, and, and, and I'm being serious. I just can't address that because I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what I can say, um, and, and and this is something I've done a little bit of 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 research on is that the mystics, okay, regardless of where they're from, the West, the East, if you go to Africa, if you go to you know uh, South America, if you go anywhere in the world, it's interesting that you find that they that that they do claim the un, the unanimous unity behind all of creation, or that there is some kind of oneness, there is some kind of um uh com- communal oneness i mean it's so hard to 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 put into words uh, well so- here's the way i put it into words is that um and this is something that that bites the ass of mystics to be honest with you is that when you're a mystic you realize that our subjective perception of reality the fact that we are a separate individual is an illusion and not only that our perceptions of reality are somewhat of an illusion because they are created in our own brain. And if these, if these perceptions of separateness and individualness are an illusion, then the only conclusion you can make is that we are all part of the same thing. Right, we are all part of this oneness. We are all part of this same unified field, whatever it is. You know, right, physics, whether it's God, God electromagnetism, it's all physics, of the forces right, holding right. the universe together, we are part of those forces. Those forces are holding us together. All of reality is bound in this net of energy. I think that is undeniable once you, once you break apart the illusion of perception. But then you come back to the fact that well, if our, if our perception of reality is an illusion, 
couldn't this perception of oneness also be an illusion? Well, that's well. Again, you know, you know. Well, well, well. Well, this is what I say. You know, if you, it says, look, if our percept, well, well, look, I wouldn't say our 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 perception of literal reality is an illusion, maybe, but our perception of reality culturally and societally, I think, are an illusion. I think that that is. I I, I would argue that that's... we went over this earlier. I mean, our our the reality that we perceive in our heads as consciousness is a very low resolution animation, no, a no, 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 right. of what reality actually is. We right. see like a cartoon version of reality in our heads. That well, is mostly an illusion. And mystics, and when you when you when you study mysticism, you realize, oh, that illusion can be shattered. We can just close our eyes and create our own illusion of a dream world or a mystic space or whatever so so then i would our, ask the our question eternal reality is an illusion because we can change it when, at will when we can, we can flip it from you know light to black or dream to awake uh so and, uh, well I'm, I'm i'm trying to figure out my next question for you uh because, <laughs> because no no because because i have it in my head i'm just trying to figure out how to how to formulate it um hmm. but when you take away that illusion if we take away the illusion of of our subjective reality all that's left is this this objective reality that we are more or less we're at the we're at the whim of this of this other reality you know we we're in control of our own little internal illusion but we have no control very little control over what happens in the reality outside of us right and, and, and you know and that's when you get into you know and some people call well well that's god or well, well that's just this it's that it's this it's this it's this it's this i mean you know you make your arbitrary assumptions based on your experience you know of, as to what it is, or you make no assumptions at all. Yeah, and I and that's what I, I I kind of go into the making no assumptions at all. What I what I tend to do is saying, you know, science doesn't really make assumptions about what it is that reality is made out of. You know, it may be the body of God, it may be the living body of God. What science does is say, here's the bits of it that we can measure and model, and these are the the bits of it that we can measure and model with some degree of accuracy and reliability so that we know that these rules will work all the time everywhere we go. It never assumes that, you know, um, just because these rules and models work and are very accurate, that's all there is. It just says these are the best rules and models that we have, so this is the, these are the rules and models that we're going with. And I tend to believe, I tend to go that way too. Um, and when people jump to the conclusion that, ah, because you don't know everything, because you can't explain these little phenomena, that means that the universe is mysterious and science is inadequate. And. No, I wouldn't say it's inadequate. It's, 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 it's adequate to explain many things. It's just that there are certain things that I believe that it, that it, ha it either has not yet explained. Or that it cannot. It has explain. no, it has no interest in explaining. Or that it has no interest in explaining, or that it can't explain, or that it. Right. If, you know. if, if there's something, if there's something you can study that can't be modeled with math, science pretty much loses interest in it pretty quick. Yeah, and, and, you know, so, so, and, and that's fine, you know. That's, 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 and, you know, that's, that's, where, that's, that's kind of where philosophy and metaphysics and, you know, and psychology and models of sort of soft behavioral interaction and, and theory come into play as opposed to what I call hard science, which is, you know, chemistry and technology and lasers and stuff like that. Right. And that's, and that's when you kind of get in. Yeah. Right. And that's where people, <laughs> pe people, uh, who, who, who tend to be more on my side of the fence go. 
All right, I'm going to. Uh, I wanted to mention that the uh, the post that we had on quantum physics, and I wanted to thank Eugene because he's you know he's yeah, he said some things that I, I agree with 100, percent and he also said some things that sort of illustrate where to me I think people take assumptions a little too far. You know, when they say just because they say science can't explain this, mystics all agree on this, therefore this. And I always have to say, well, no, the logic doesn't always sound there. But uh, you know, it's it's a very it's a good arguments and uh, again stuff that I can talk about on every episode. There was a, a link someone put on my Facebook page to a conversation on the Lyceum discussion boards about quantum physics and weirdness, and I guess the post that we did, the show that we did on quantum physics, got mentioned there. And there is a large discussion back and forth. I mean, these people have throw the kitchen sink at each other talking about non-local consciousness and quantum weirdness and. Uh, I just like to always err on the side of the reality that I live in is, is, you know, it's a Newton, Newtonian reality. It's an Einsteinian reality. Um, I don't see in my daily life any non-local weirdness or quantum magic that happens outside the level of electronic electrons and photons, um, interacting with each other. So, um, that's pretty much where my, my stance falls on that. I don't want to do quantum physics every episode. But if you want to go to my Facebook page, I'm at James L. Kent, Facebook slash James L. Kent. Um, friend of mine posted a link to this discussion that's pretty funny. And you can see where, where all these people, where all these different arguments come from. And again, most of them are not based on evidence. They're just based on, um, interpretations of quantum mechanical theory that are taken to their, um, sometimes <laughs> ludicrous, uh, degrees. <laughs> and let uh, me go ahead. I, I, I since, since you're doing your final comments, I'll make my final comments. I here. wanted to read this one mail okay, that, go, that go ahead. I, I got too. Go ahead, and then I'll and then I'll make my statement. And this is um, I get mail a lot from from people who've just discovered psychedelics or have just discovered my work, and um, sometimes it's it's very positive mail, and sometimes it's very um, disturbing mail because I get I get I get emails from people who. Have you know been been uh, studying psychedelics for a while and are very competent in their skills and attitude about how they go about it, and other people who are more confused and um, sort of lost in their experimentation, which and that's kind of the more disturbing ones that I get. This one is sort of in between, and uh, it was it was one that that I that I got um, that really kind of struck me. And the, it's, it's written from somebody who is not a native English speaker, so I'm going to, uh, to sort of paraphrase a couple parts here. It says, Dear Mr. Kent, your work is amazing. Pitt saved my life. I was going psychotic seeking validity to my visions on ayahuasca and DMT. Being from India, I am not as privileged as most people making DMT their lifestyles, which I'm guessing to mean he's poor. He's not a rich Westerner. I didn't have time, resources, and support to give my life to some shaman or travel around the world doing ayahuasca. This is a typical story. Somebody becomes interested in ayahuasca and they can't go to the South America, so they find somebody local to get involved with. What I found is that most people who gave themselves or their life to a cult or shaman or their visions can do so because they have the social security and resources to do this. So again, paraphrasing, he's saying that sitting around taking ayahuasca all the time, doing what a shaman tells you, is something that only is a luxury. That's something that you do in your free time, that the rich and bourgeois do. 
not people who work for a living. <laughs> he says, I don't have resources, and I became attracted to this lifestyle because of women, freedom, and all of this postmodern philosophy, which doesn't make sense. <laughs> Your book opened my eyes to what it all is and that many people are just fools to follow what other people say and give their lives in this dangerous pursuit of changing the world through drinking ayahuasca and taking DMT. Again, this is one of these philosophies that I just don't understand how people take drugs and trip out for a few hours and at the end of it believe that they've somehow changed the world for the better. And you know, I hear I this all the time. I don't, what, are you I, I don't... what are you doing in these ayahuasca sessions? We're changing the world. How are you changing the world? Yeah, well, they're, they're visualizing world peace. Okay, so in the end, all of them is feeding their egos, and few get a lot of power, the shamans, and the beautiful women to lay with. So he's saying he was attracted to the scene because there were sexy women and shamans and this bourgeois lifestyle that he was really, really, really wanting to be a part of. And because of that, he sort of fell into the routine of drinking ayahuasca with this group. Let me, says, <laughs> let me. Says that, so I'm going to finish this last sentence. Oh, okay. Here. I thought can, it was done. Can, so this is a potentially destructive movement brewing in this world by usage of DMT and ayahuasca mushrooms, etc. Many people will be destroyed. I gave up and stepped out. I make my life in better morals and principles. Uh, he, so. Um, I shifted from India to Europe last year, and all this time I wasted myself on this whole lifestyle. My visions of aliens and of, tra and of attracting people or getting attracted by them. Psychedelics can help so much if I understood correctly. New Age spirituality is the real poison attached to these substances, and science is the only solution to get grounded and real. Thank you for your hard work that you put into this to map out the psychedelic experience. Your theory is a big value, and if I'm able to make something of my existence... I will propagate your theory. Regards, CJ. Now, this is, I, I very rarely get mails like this where people say, you saved my life and your theory pulled me out of a psychotic <laughs> spiral. Um, maybe a couple times a year I get a mail like that. Mostly people just say, you know, good work, I really enjoyed your book. Or I get a little, um, you know, dialogue going where we talk about these, these quantum physics kind of things. This one is like, I feel like I wrote the book for this guy. <laughs> Hey, you well, know, that's good. He says, New Age spirituality is the real poison attached to these substances. Now, what do you think about that? What do I think about that? Yeah. I don't disagree with it. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, I, have, I, mean, I have never come out and said that New Age spirituality is a poison um, I, muddying up psychedelic ex exploration. Um I tend to think of it more as a diversion or a cul-de-sac that you can get trapped in. Yeah, well, Scott uh, had a very bad experience, though. I, 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 I wouldn't. Uh, well, I wouldn't take it as far as he had taken it, but I, but I think that to a to a certain extent, it does. I don't want to say muddle it, but it it, it veers people into a direction. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it makes promises of you know that, beautiful women who are sexually free, and there was you a know. you know what? Let, let me let me interview. <laughs> this is just, <laughs> just, just a just a just a quick funny funny story. <laughs> I, I was I was I was sitting uh, I was sitting here last night and I was watching. Uh, I don't know. Are, are you familiar with? Uh, I, I I like Seth MacFarlane's work. Are you familiar with American Dad, the television? Oh show? yeah, yeah. Well, there's. Well, a, I'm not a huge Seth MacFarlane fan, but every once in a while I'll catch a show. There, I I I I really like American Dad. I thought it was. I, I think it's better than Family Guy. I thought it was one of the better shows. Very, very funny. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, the wife had bought an Incan wish bowl. And Klaus, the uh, fish with the brain of a German man, <laughs> said said if that if that was really an Incan wishbowl, it would be in the in the Ferrari of a six hundred year old Incan man driving uh, uh, dri- driving to his job as Jessica Alba's g-string. <laughs> right, and this yeah. is yeah, and this is one thing I said to somebody who was who was talking up um you know uh the spiritual power of ayahuasca shamans I, and i said you know if 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 ayahuasca really had that much spiritual power uh the conquistadors would have been driven out of the jungles 400 years ago well now 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 let's now let's uh let's let's actually take 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 that down a little bit because there were tribes that beca- because one of the, you know uh, for the viewers who don't know one of the things i do to keep myself from going crazy is i read a lot of politics and stuff like that and you know um and I mean that in a joking way, obviously. But, um, you know, I do read, uh, politics and, you know, and, 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 you know, the history of regions. And, uh, you know, many of the smaller indigenous tribes, not the, not the established civilizations like the Aztecs or the Incas, were able to flee into the jungle and, uh, you know, hold off to the conquistadors for actually, you know, a, a fair amount of time. Uh, because, well, yeah, because and the they jungle is their protector. Right, and they couldn't they're... handle the deep jungle because the Spanish, I mean, the Spanish had armor, they had guns, they had weapons, but they couldn't, they couldn't handle the jungle. So. Right, which, know. which, um, one of my favorite Werner Herzog movies. I, oh, uh, I like Werner Herzog, yeah. It's, um, this, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's called The Wrath of God, but it had some conquistador's name. And it's basically about a group of conquistadors who, um, Get trapped deep in the jungle, basically carrying cannons and and heavy muskets on their back, trying to trek over jungle paths to find these these Indian insurrectionists, and they wind up dying deep in. The, oh, it's I think Agira. Agira is the name of the movie. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, and uh, and the conquistador leader just slowly goes crazy over the course of the movie because he gets lost and his men are starving, and it's just it's great. It's a great movie. It's one of these classic Werner Herzog man versus nature, and nature basically just kills and eats man. What is the name? Hold on, wait. What is the name of this movie? I want to go watch care this. Care about movie. you is basically what Werner Herzog says. What is which the- is what I like to say to pagans who say, "Oh, you know, I've got the, you know, I'm in touch with the guy in mine, and we're in, in, in you know, we're 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 at one with the jungle vibration." I was like, "The jungle does not care about you. The jungle will eat you if you give it a chance." Aguirre, <laughs> Aguirre the Wrath of God is a 1972 West German new wave adventure art film. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's the, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to check that movie out. I, that, that's, that's one I haven't seen. It's one of those, it's one of these, like you said, chewing guard, cardboard movies where it's like, it moves so slow and everything is so tortuous. You're just like, oh my god, when is this gonna end? But it's, but it's one of these, I mean, it's just one of these classic tales of hubris. Yeah, you know, but, but those are interesting though. I like those, you know. <laughs> they're, 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 they're interesting. Um, there was another movie that had Hugh Jackman in it. Um, that was about conquistadors oh, in the jungle, yeah, and yeah, that was a um, that was a really good movie. And I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it'll it was, come to me right after we get off the air. But yes, I saw that. Is it movie, called The Tree of it Life? Was very psychedelic, where they're shifting back and forth in time. Yeah, where he was like, like way, at the way, way end of the movie. He's in like some some space bubble. He's like a, a spirit in a space bubble, moving towards some gigantic tree at the center of the universe or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that. it was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. No, no. I mean, I mean, I sat through that and I got done and I was like, what the hell did I just watch? 
Yeah, and he's a conquistador, and he meets an Incan priest at the top of the temple, and he's killed, and then he's resurrected as somebody fighting cancer in the 20th century, and... Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of hopping back and forth in time. It's like Tree of not, not it's not Tree of Life. It's a that's a different movie. Hugh, uh, I'm gonna look this up. Hugh Jackman Tree. Yeah, no, it is called. I think it's called the Tree of Life. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. The Fountain. That's the name of the, the Fountain. Yes, yes, that's the name yes, of the, the movie. Fountain. The Fountain. The Fountain. There we go. Yep. Uh, the Tree of Life was the tree that he was nursing, which actually apparently. Oh, and by the way, um, one of the best, the psych, one of the most psychedelic movies ever made. Um, Blueberry uh, Renegade is what it's called in English. Uh, it's on Crackle.com. If you've never seen it, you can. It's like playing for free on Crackle.com now. You can go and like check it out. It's Renegade, and it is a psychedelic western where the final gun battle takes place in uh, basically an ayahuasca dream session between that's, the good good guy and the bad guy. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's something the director of that movie spent, uh, I guess, months in the Amazon uh, jungle training with a shaman and drinking ayahuasca to get all the special effects just right. And there's some really, really awesome special effects in that movie. Yeah, it sounds like something that I, you know, will have to check out. It sounds like a great, uh, a great movie. So, any, uh, anything else uh, we want to address today before we sign off, James? I think that's all. Um, keep the comments coming. Uh, like I said, we, we occasionally, I occasionally revisit all of this quantum mechanics stuff and mysticism stuff and try to, you know, reassess my own opinions because you know, things do change over time. But, uh, so keep the, keep the comments coming. Every once in a while, somebody will send me a link to, have you heard of this philosopher or have you heard of this guy? And I'm not really a have you heard of this guy kind of guy. I basically haven't heard of anybody. And if it's just a philosopher or somebody writing theory, I don't really care about what they say. I want to see studies. I want to see scientific experiments. I want to, you know, hear the results of experiments that can be reproduced. Um, those are the kind of things I'm looking for now in my life when I come to formulate my opinions about what reality is and what what the state of affairs in the world is. So if you want to say, have you heard about this guy who's talking about quantum physics and, and blah, blah, blah? No, I probably have not heard about him. But do I care to hear about him? Probably not. <laughs> oh. so, yeah. Well, uh, you know, and let me leave this as my final comment. You know, I, I think that the goal, uh, you know, really of mysticism and spirituality is, you know, be good to one another be good to yourself, be good to, you know, uh, nature, be good to those around you, and, you know, be honest with yourself, be honest with others, and uh, try to emanate and spread a message of of love and peace and harmony, uh, but in the process of doing so, don't fail to recognize the human suffering, because we as humans all suffer in, in our own ways. And right, I think and that when that's you run across important. somebody who is less enlightened and doesn't treat people the way they should you should be kind to those people because they probably have inner struggles that are way deeper than you can imagine yeah which is causing them to act out in bad ways yeah so Not just because they're they're assholes or whatever um people who are assholes are usually assholes because they're in pain inside for some reason and they don't want to show you they're in pain so they act out in different ways so that's one of the things i've learned in my spiritual pursuit is that we can't judge everybody just because they're 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 short-sighted or their actions look like they're mean 
Um, you know, uh, Evagrius Pomp, uh, Ponticus, one of the early desert fathers, talked about you know demons and these you know you know different kinds of thought forms that could you know control the you know that could uh, and obsessions mm-hmm. that could you know control people. And you know, I got to tell That's you, passions. Yeah, I mean, the more and more that I've you know thought about it, and the more and more I've looked around at people and myself, and you know, and and you know, the world. Uh, it's not. It's it's really not that far off. Right, and I when I find myself, you know, um, feeling anger towards a person because either they're attacking me because of something I've said, or they're doing something or promoting an idea that I disagree with, I always have to just take a deep breath and say, you know, this person feel strongly about what they're doing, so I'm not going to take it personally. I'm just going to, you know, check where my internal rage or hatred is coming from and, um, you know, let that person be that person. And I'm just going to be this person. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to create beats, beefs or feuds with anybody. Um, but again, I'm not going to tolerate people saying things that are just inaccurate. So, well, you know, and, and my, at some point, and then, you know, people, there are people who will look at me as being an asshole because I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm intolerant of all of these ideas that, that, that float around with no real evidence. But that's just because I think I'm older. I think I'm older and I've, I've lived long enough to see that a lot of these, these ideas floating around really don't amount to much. So I'm more concerned with the stuff that, that we can demonstrate and does amount to stuff. And if that means I discount things that are a little, you know, out there and on the edge, then then so be it. It's it's up to you to uh to to make your own points if you if you want to argue with my stance. So, right. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah, and you know, and like I said, uh, you know, I I I apologize if I came off as a, as a, as a little arrogant uh, earlier in the podcast when I had said, uh, you know, new age bad, you're not well, going to yeah, find you know, guy and in that's the, the thing is, we, if we don't have anybody here on the show, it's easy to make a straw man that we can like hang up and like beat beat down new agey people. But, you know, there are we could name names. I could name names in the community of people who propagate what I would consider dangerous new agey things, but I think you, if you know everybody in the community, you can figure out who those are. <laughs> and you know what? Well, hold on. And, and, and I also want to add this. I mean, we're coming to the end of the show, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we can go on for another. I mean, is, is, is that all right with you, James, if I make another sure, comment here? Um, look, I've been through the new age community. I have. I mean, I, you know, I went and I talked to all these people and I tried to find all these answers and all these different books because I was so unhappy with the, um, with the spirituality that had been given to me, right? I mean, because, because, I mean, I mean, many people in the United States and Europe and other places, they're given a spirituality. Their parents have one, right? Their parents have a religion. Their parents have a certain tradition they follow. They pass that along. I think to that's the... pretty much true all over the world. Yeah, right, right, right. And that's what I'm saying. You know, anywhere in the world, you, I mean, you're going to find that. And I, you know, and I was disgusted by it. I was disgusted by what I was handed. I was handed, you know, Christianity. And I said, you know, f this. You know, get, you know, get, get this away from me. This is, this is disgusting. Look at, you know, look at the churches and the, and the this and the that. And uh, and I went on this, you know, you know, good four or five year journey of, uh, you know, new age and then atheism and then new age again and then you know getting further into the new age and. And, you know, but, but all throughout that journey, I, I, I've eventually come back to the same conclusion, which is that, you know, the people who were studying this in the ancient world, I think, have an insight to it that people today 
are 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 lacking. I mean, and I and I think in part it's because people in the ancient world really didn't have anything else to do. I mean, you know, when you went out in the desert, you had no computer to distract you. You had no I mean, you had nothing. It was you and the desert and yourself and uh you believe God, you know, and that's well, what they, they had. Were, you know. They had short, brutal lives. Is what they had. Also, yeah, and that's also true. You know, their lives were short and brutal, and uh, and you were lucky if you lived long. You know, you you know, most people in the ancient world, if they were over the age of seventy, they were usually very rich. Um, so you know, and like you know, like I said, when I was eighteen to twenty-five years of age, I was all about exploring the new age and the the weirdness and the the spiritual mystico non-local quantum whatever and um you know i i spent a good chunk of my 20s in that mind space studying all of that and i kind of rolled out of the other side saying nah there's really not much to that and and then sort of left it at that but um you know there are people out there who get caught up in these you know quote-unquote cults that are not really regulated they don't have any oversight people are attracted to them by promises of you know free love and opening up your mind and living in this sort of hedonistic bourgeois lifestyle but that's you know i i know lots of people who went through that lifestyle and it only lasted a few years before they they got burned out on it and said there's got to be more to life than a hedonistic bourgeois lifestyle and um you know there is so you know and again and actually you know like i said if if uh, go back and listen to the podcast with uh, father nicholas buxton and read his book because actually that's uh, one of the first things he addresses in his book is uh, he says look people have so many more things but people aren't happy why mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. why are people still unhappy even though right, and have... I had this discussion with a, you know, uh, back in the back in the early days and when the seattle scene was forming when i first m- moved up here um, there, you know, there was this Larry, Leary scene, there was this Church of Mez scene where, uh, Rama's his friends, and, um, one of my good friends in that scene that I met, there was, you know, there was a lot of sort of polyamory and free love going on in that scene, and I was already married by the time that I had met any of these people, so it wasn't even just a consideration for me. But I was talking to him and I said, you know, it must be interesting, you know, having all of these different partners that you can choose from when you're feeling sexually active and he says you know it is a lot of fun but um it's also a lot of work and um it's not really as fun as i thought it would be when i first got into it and really now that i've been doing it for a couple years i realize that i just want one single person that i can settle down with that i know is going to be there for me because in the long run that's what i really want and in the short run all of this you know this hedonistic bourgeois lifestyle that we're we're experimenting with is ultimately not fulfilling, and is not what you want, and is not what he wanted. Is not what you know many people. Well, it's what he thought he wanted, right? Then, and again, it's it, people say, "Well, no, look, if I can just get the car and the house, and you know, <laughs> right. if I can, if I can just make it to that point, if I can just do that, everything, my life will be great." And then they get there, and then you know, they say, James, to me, "You know, James, I got all the J, I got all the drugs, I got all the chicks, I got all the money, and it just sucks." Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, you know, it's so so. If 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 people who have all of that, right, who have everything that modern society could provide as a conduit for happiness, are not happy, then there's evidently a problem. <laughs> And beyond that, there has to be some way 
if to not find happiness, to find contentness. Right, and that's there's a lot to be said for struggle when you're talking about contentedness. If if there's an element of struggle in your life, it's a lot easier to be content when you've met some modest goal. Um, if you're living in in a in a you know bourgeois hedonistic love den, um, and you've had your seventh orgasm of the day, it's hard to feel like you've accomplished something, even yeah. though you may be in the bliss zone 100% of the time. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I mean, you know, how is, how is, how is having sex with seven, seven different women a day? Well, it could have just been the same woman seven Okay. Times. You know what? Fine. Okay. <laughs> how is, okay. 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 Well, 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 then let's say, let's just pretend for the sake of argument that the cult that we're talking about, that there's a woman, every, you know, every other day there's a new woman, right? So, okay. So you're having sex with a new woman every other day, right? And, you know, you have all, you know, you have money, you're buying drugs with the money, you're, you know, doing ritual. But, 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 but my question is, how is, how is, how is any of that bringing you closer to a spiritual goal? And that's the thing is people don't really always, they, people don't always get involved in these kind of things because of the spirituality. They may be attracted to the lifestyle or the, or the beautiful women. You know, there's, there's, there's undoubtedly beautiful women in the, in the psychedelic community who are beautiful because they've tapped into some sort of inner strength or inner spirituality that, that sort of shines out of them, that radiates out of them. And that's, you know, that's, that is, um, you know, something that, that men cannot resist is beautiful women. I mean, heterosexual men, of course. So there is, there is a lot of that. I mean, like a lot of the hippie lifestyle, there's people who were only attracted to it because they saw that it was a groovy thing that chicks were doing. So I'm going to do it too. Um, there's also, oh, I lost my train of thought here. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to get a good, um, idea for how easy it is to burn out on the hedonistic lifestyle, you can just read, um, Motley Crue's autobiography. And these are guys who had, you know, teams of women coming in and out of their recording studio all day long, just looking to have sex with the band. And after, you know, an hour or two of doing whatever they wanted with all of the women and drugs, uh, and money that they could get their hands on, they were just bored out of their minds. They just didn't want to have sex anymore. They couldn't get sexually aroused by women because they were so tapped out. They were so burnt out. They had glutted themselves to the point where just even thinking about having sex with another woman was making them sick. Right? So they would go off and drink or shoot heroin to, to escape all the people who wanted a piece of them. And it's really, you know, it's sort of a, you know, you get what you wish for kind of scenario. And suddenly you realize that the things that you were wishing for were, you know, petty childish things that are not going to fulfill you. They're just going to make you sick if you, if you, if you eat too much of them. Uh, and, you know, that's, I think part of everybody's spiritual and <laughs> growth needs to involve a little bit of learning that lesson that, oh yeah, I can glut myself on anything, but I'm never going to be fully satisfied doing that. The kid who eats too many chocolate bars gets fat. <laughs> Trust me, I know I was a fat kid. So yeah, um, so what's the, what's the moral for today's show? Um, I don't know. Discipline in your spirituality. Love one another. Yeah, if you're going to be spiritual about your pursuits, whether it's psychedelic or any other kind of ritual, be disciplined about it. Uh, try to take the lead from somebody who's done it before and knows what they're talking about. And uh, love one another and don't give in to petty fulfillment of, of 
you know, childish urges because those are ultimately unsatisfying. They will ultimately what destroy you. What can we say, you. man? We're dropping the wisdom today. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, no, no. <laughs> now listen, listen. To 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 quote UG Krishnamurti, what you hear is the barking of a dog. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I I've I've said this on many podcasts, and I'll say it again. I know nothing. <laughs> I know, I know, uh, you know, an iota of an iota of an iota of information, uh, you know, that's out there. So don't take my word for it. Go, you know, go research yourself and, you know, and you can find out a hell of a lot more about the stuff than I can tell you about it. So I'm confident to say that I know slightly more than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Still mostly nothing. Yeah. But I, yeah. Okay. (laughs) James knows, James knows a little bit more than I do, but, but, but that's only because I know nothing. So he knows slightly more than nothing. So we both basically know nothing. Right. And there's a margin (laughs) of error for anything that we talk about. Exactly. Yes, there is. Do your own research and, uh, and make your own decisions. Yes, I agree. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm your host, Jay Kettle. Uh, and, of course, with me, as always, is the wonderful founder of Dose Nation and co-host of the podcast and author of Psychedelic Information Theory, Shamanism in the Age of Reason, James Kent. James, thanks for coming on, as always. Yeah, thank you, Jake. It's been a fun show, and hopefully we'll do more of these, just uh, you and I chatting about stuff. It has. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you... Uh, Next week, and remember, like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash dose nation. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash dose nation. Go to our website, www.dosenation.com. You can, you can subscribe to the RSS feed. You can subscribe to the, to the podcast there. You can get updates uh, on the Facebook page and the Twitter page. In addition, you can buy books through our website. You can buy James's book, uh, Psychedelic Information Theory, through dosenation.com. Uh, please do that. We appreciate it. Uh, it, it, it. It gives us an affiliate credit, it, uh, and it helps support the website. So please do that if you're willing. And uh, we have some other uh, special content coming up. So you can follow us on YouTube, which uh, the uh, username is DoseNationTV. And uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud as well at, at DoseNation on SoundCloud. That's SoundCloud.com forward slash DoseNation. So... Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. Teenagers prowl along the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles, high on the drug. Some of them chew the bark off trees and growl like dogs. They alternately writhe on the floor, screaming, cower in a corner, or dreamily prop themselves against the walls. 10,000 thrill-seekers attend a three-day LSD festival in San Francisco, undulating to atonal music while experiencing way-out trances. And it was the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And then the paintings on the walls were dripping. <laughs> just, you know, you could see the paint coming down them like this, just like somebody was hosing it off at the top and all the paint was running down onto the floor. But it was so pretty. They were running. Just... <whistles> like they were melting. Yeah. It was groovy. Mm-hmm.